Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and I am such a big fan of today's guest, especially from her Emmy Award-nominated role as Molly Salverson on the first season of Fargo, as well as playing Joe Evans in the sci-fi thriller show Emergence. It's the fantastic Allison Tolman. We talk about her career before Fargo, doing commercials and theater work, how Fargo changed her life, and she schooled me on how to make a cappuccino at home using a glass jar. Obviously, we were talking a little bit about how what you're doing at home, mm-hmm. uh, but how are you coping with being at home right now, especially since we're not you're not able to be working on sets and stuff? You know, honestly, I'm kind of killing it at quarantine. I'm not going to lie. I I don't know why. I would consider myself an extrovert, but I must be like a secret introvert because I'm I'm actually doing pretty well and keeping busy and I'm like exercising at home and I'm reading and I've got new hobbies. Uh, I assume that the wall is coming soon and I'm going to be like, yep, I'm done with this now. Um, anyway, um, so it doesn't really feel, <laughs> it basically just feels like being an out-of-work actor is basically what quarantine feels like. <laughs> Waiting to find actor, out if you're working that year. Like, I don't know. Uh, Let's find out. I would say, being an actor, you're, you're, <laughs> that is a common thing you do is, is waiting. Um, I definitely want to talk about emergence, but I want to go back. What are some of the hobbies you've, you've picked up during uh, being in quarantine? So the, the most notable one is I've, I've started doing embroidery and, um, and I've just been embroidering tea towels for all of my friends with like curse words on them. Um, they might fall apart in the wash. I'm not totally sure, <laughs> but it's the thought that counts. So, um, but yeah, I've been doing some like crafty stuff like that. And then uh, honestly, just like home improvement things like moving pictures around and hanging things and like rearranging furniture and stuff like that, but like hardcore nesting. <laughs> it's like it's like I was telling someone it's like I feel like I've turned slowly turning my house into my parents' house. Like you know, it's time to get that coffee maker. It's time to get that real chair for the office. You know. Yes, I learned how to make um an espresso at home. I got a mocha pot and I learned how to make cappuccinos. <gasps> oh wow! Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's such it's such a strange time because there are all these there are all these things that you miss, and I'm certainly happy to um, give up things that I miss and like not be out in the world to try to help keep people safe. Um, and I, that's a minor sacrifice compared to what a lot of people are having to deal with during this time, but it's been kind of fun to figure out what those gaps are and what the things are that I really miss and see if I can supply them on my own, like cappuccinos. And it turns out I can, I still want to be able to walk to, you know, a coffee shop, but in the meantime, it's not a bad substitute. Well, and I imagine you might have some embroidered kind of like little coasters for your your cups. <laughs> that should be the next, that's the next step. I'm going to open a coffee shop in my apartment. Everyone can come. Well, as, as we start talking, as we start, cause you and I have to start talking, but as the world starts <laughs> talking about opening businesses again and, and going back to work and this stuff, I'm wondering, how do you think this could affect film and TV production? You know, I just have no idea. I've certainly spent a lot of time thinking about how um, we can get back to work and I'm thankful that I don't have to actually be the one who makes decisions about how to do that. Cause I can't really imagine, you know, being on a film set, being on a sound stage and having that be safe or feel safe uh, right now. So I'm just excited for the next phase. Um, I just, I'm trying not to get too attached to a timeline in my head because 
um, I, 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 I'm concerned that that'll be unrealistic and then I'll be disappointed come the fall. Um, I'm very lucky. Um, and I also, you know, when this first started, I was like, what if I never work again? What if the industry is gone? And then I was like, it's not going anywhere. We need television so much because there's nothing to do, but sit around and like watch TV and read books and watch movies. So, um, I am interested to see what the next phase looks like. And, um, I think, I don't know. I'm, I, I am, you know, like emergence was a very friendly set. We all really liked each other. We all, you know, ate lunch together and, uh, shot the shit in the makeup trailer in the mornings. And the idea of losing that closeness and losing that community, um, even just for a year or two while we sort things out makes me really sad. Um, but we'll do what we have to do to keep everybody safe. All right, let's talk a little bit more about Mertens because uh, this show is very fascinating to me. And um, I guess, first of all, let's talk about your character, Joe. So how did you go about approaching Joe on the show? Uh, you know, I think in the beginning, this, the first script is just such a strong, um, a strong, a strong story, but just really strong dialogue as well. A really nicely written woman, which... I'm sure it comes as a surprise to no one is, is not common. Like a lot of times female characters are like, who wrote this? What's happening? Or any characters really. Um, but Joe was, was always uh, kind of fully formed and made a lot of sense to me from the first time that I, that I read uh, the first script. I, I think as Joe, as the season went on and as um, you know, the writers continued to, to work on the season, I feel like Joe got to be more and more of my voice um, because they got to know me better and they got to know the way that I spoke and the kind of jokes that I make and the cadence of my voice. And um, then she just got even easier to play because she felt closer and closer to me um, as the season went on. And, and Emergence is interesting because uh, I've, there's a lot of different ways you could describe it. I'm curious, how would you describe it to someone who hasn't watched it? I always say that it's a... Um, a sci-fi thriller about um, a sci-fi thriller kind of wrapped up in a family drama where the family members are funny people, (laughs) 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 which is a lot of layers, but it's true. It's a hard, I mean, it is, it's a sci-fi thriller. It's it's spooky and scary and it's definitely sci-fi, but the heart of it is this family, which I think is really the strength of the show. It's about a family, but then everyone involved in the production is, really funny the cast is funny our writers are all really funny and so it also just kind of has a natural humor to it no one's doing bits but it's just like the characters themselves are funny they're just funny people and they respond to extreme situations in funny ways how do you think that having that sense of humor even if it's not like overt how do you think that helps with the story or or make it more compelling i think in a story like ours um where you have ordinary people dealing with extraordinary things. Um, I think humor is one of the most useful tools you can have when you're trying to get people to buy into a premise that's hard to swallow. Um, It makes it feel a little bit more relatable, I think, when characters are also like, what is happening? Like that's that's a fun thing to see, I think, as an audience member. Um, So I think that humor is really kind of key in in selling what we're we're pushing um, in our show. And in the show, there's lots of uh, 
I guess reveals is a good word to use. Mystery, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm wondering for you, like as you are given the scripts, how do you keep from getting ahead of your character? I just kind of take it scene by scene, to be honest. I mean, I knew I knew ahead of time where we were headed for the entire season, because um, in our first meeting, uh, Michelle and Tara kind of outlined it for me. That doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me to know what things are going on to know more than my character. And to be honest, I've, I've certainly had roles that I've done a lot more prep work for, and I've done a lot more um, like script work and kind of planning things. But I was so in, in so much of emergence that it was really clear pretty quickly that that was not going to be possible, that I couldn't plan too far ahead. So I took everything day by day and scene by scene. I memorized in the makeup chair in the morning. And um, I try to like do a scene and then throw it out, you know, <laughs> like just toss it out of my head and then move on to the next thing and just take each one in like its own little bite-sized piece where you're like, you can do a reset and say, okay, here's what she knows at this point in time. And here's where she's at. Um, that was really the only way to, to do it. We worked really long hours uh, while we were shooting and there was just wasn't a lot of downtime to um, map things out. You know, when I first started doing television acting, like during Fargo, um, that was really a difficult adjustment. I can remember saying to Martin Freeman, like us shooting a scene and then being like, but when do we, when do we, like, when's the work part? <laughs> like, I don't, when is the work? And he was like, that's the work. That is the work. You just, you do it on your own and then you bring it to the table and then you try things and you shoot it and then you move on. And I was just like, it just blew my mind because coming from the theater and especially like studying in the school where you really have the time to like tease everything out and there's table reads and table work and I ran a theater company in Dallas for years. So I spent a lot of time with material and a lot of time teasing things out and um, figuring out themes. And there's just not any time for that um, in television, certainly more so in film, but not in television. And I thought that was going to be a really hard adjustment. But, but to, to be honest, I really love it now. There's sort of like very Zen principle, I think, about letting go and like letting each moment be each moment. Um, in the theater, but you don't really have that problem in television. Like there's not a bunch of lead up. There's a little bit of lead up and then you do a thing and then there's a little bit of lead up and then you do a thing. And you can always try something new and you can always abort a take partway through and be like, bleh, hated it. Let's start over again. Um, I don't know. I, it really, I didn't, I, you could never have, have told me um, seven years ago that I would have taken to it the way that I did, but I really enjoy um that practice now is some of that have to do because i know you uh, we were talking before we started recording about uh your work uh, training at second city obviously mm -hmm. that's a sketch and it's improv obviously the show emergence is being scripted but does some of that just you, with improv you have like no safety nets the the cliche mm -hmm. but does that some of that help also just be able to just get in those moments and just run with it yeah, I mean, I think that improv training is the best acting training I've ever had, um, simply because it gets you out of your head and, and helps you to trust your partner and trust your surroundings. Um, I, I don't do a lot of improv anymore unless I am on unless I'm on camera, unless I'm in the middle of a scene. Um, there's a lot there was there's a fair amount of improv, improv on our set on emergence because again, like a lot of funny people getting their getting their stuff in at the end of the take. <laughs> Uh, which a lot of that, you know, makes it into the show, which is awesome. And uh, some of the cast members you have, you have Alexa Swin uh, Swinton, who plays Piper. She's 10. Ashley Ofterhide, who plays Mia. She's 14. What is it like uh, acting across these two young actors? And 
how do you, do you approach it any differently than working with professional adult actors? But they're both so good and so um, sort of professional and very sort of um, self-possessed that you very quickly just treat them as colleagues. Um, I think for me, the, th- the different thing about working with girls of that age is that I really felt um, like it was an opportunity to um, sort of lead by example of what it is like to be a female in this industry and what it's like to be a female lead and what it's like to um, lead a set and, and be number one on a call sheet. And, uh, and also what it's like to go through the sort of uh, rigmarole of press and being a public figure. Um, And I, I was thankful that I was able to be with them at this sort of like tender age during this time and, and um, try to keep an eye on them and watch over them and, and give them, you know, unsolicited advice whenever, (laughs) whenever I could about how to um, stay yourself and sort of safeguard against the, the, the trappings of, of television fame. Obviously we were talking about emergency described as sci-fi thriller. Um, Are you into sci-fi? Are there movies that you absolutely love or is this something that you just have to fall into? No, I mean, I am into sci-fi. I did not know that I was a sci-fi fan until I watched um, Battlestar Galactica probably 20 years ago and watched the whole series and was like, this is the greatest series I've ever seen in my life. I've (laughs) I've probably watched it four or five times all the way through. Um, And then I was like, I think I like sci-fi. So uh, now I would say I I am a sci-fi fan. I just finished Devs. Have you watched Devs yet on Hulu? I haven't. Ooh, it's good. It's good. It's weird, uh, but I really enjoyed it. So, um, you know, I've not done, I've done some horror, but I've not done sci-fi before I did Emergence. And um, it's, it's kind of exactly the show that I like to watch. So I'm lucky that I fell into making one. And then um, I heard you describe your character on the show, Joe, as a bookend to your character, Molly, on Fargo. I wonder if you can explain that for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's funny that I have played, um, you know, two police women now. Um, but Molly, I always say that, you know, Molly was at a point in her career where she was had everything to prove. And really, that was the, the, the primary arc was her trying to prove that she could do this job, that she could be trusted, that her instincts were right, and um, that she was actually the smartest person in the room. And Joe is in exactly the opposite situation. She doesn't have anything to prove to anybody. She's already the boss. Um, she's like respected and adored, and that puts her in a position where we can. That's that's not the arc of the steer, of the of the series. The arc of the series is what does she do with that power, and and what makes her um, the things that make her a good mother, and the things that make her a good rescuer for Piper are also the things that make her a good law enforcement officer, which isn't something that we see a lot. I think in stories about um, police. So they're just, they couldn't be, you know, more opposite ends of the spectrum, I think, as characters. Okay. So as, as, a, as most of us, we discovered you or found you or learned you about you because your life mm-hmm. didn't start for the show. When you played Molly <laughs> uh, Silverson, uh, is it Silverson or? Uh, yeah, Solverson, Solverson right? like solving Solverson. a crime. Get it? You get Sol- it? Really? Really? <laughs> I love it. I didn't yeah. write it. I know that's pretty on the note. It's right there, Patrick, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Molly Solverson on Fargo. Um, Now that you've had some time away from that show, what does it mean to you when you look back? Um, I mean, 
you joke about that I didn't exist before <laughs> before Fargo happened, but in a lot of ways, um, I I didn't. I mean, I existed obviously as a human, but I people are like, I didn't know your work before that, and I'm like, there was no work before that. You I, like you would have had to catch my one scene in a one episode of Prison Break from you know 2003 to be familiar with my television work before that. Um, Fargo ch- changed my entire life I mean there's I would certainly not be where I am now if it weren't for Fargo um and kind of you know overnight in a lot of ways I mean it's not like I was just in a mall and Noah Hawley came and found me and said can you act I've been acting my whole life and that's what my degree is in but I was just kind of chipping away at commercial auditions and you know sketch comedy and um Fargo came along and and just blew my world up in the best way So the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed, and I'm curious, what are you so obsessed with? <laughs> Other than Needlepoint? Um, <laughs> well, let's say uh, Needlepoint, <laughs> cappuccinos, cats. <laughs> a lot of, exactly. A lot of Needlepoint. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think I started out quarantine watching a lot of television, spending a lot of time, like, making a dent on my couch and worked my way through Barry and finished up. Mm. Um, I watched all of uh, the last two seasons of Ozark, you know great, great stuff. And then I was like, I'm going to, I can't handle this. I need to like be standing up more often during the day. So I started reading books more often. I just finished um, How to Be Alone by Lane Moore, uh, which I can highly recommend. She's great. And she's a comedian and a singer and an actress. And she wrote this great book called How to Be Alone. Um, and I've been listening to podcasts a lot. I'll just like put a podcast on and then like do the dishes or needlepoint or, you know, water my houseplants to make sure they don't die. Um, <laughs> just trying to kind of keep my brain active um, in a way that television doesn't always um, do for me. So I can limit my screen time. Is there any uh, podcast that uh, kind of stick out to you? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, my favorite murder girl. So I'm, I'm a true crime gal. So I've been, I've been <laughs> listening to my favorite murder since the beginning. Um, and then there's another great podcast called, um, terrible. Thanks for asking. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that one. It's no, I love the title though. It's great. It's about grief and regret and, um, sort of like uh, different people in different situations that are sort of, um, that have stuck with them and sort of haunted them and changed things for them forever. So she talks to these people about what they're going through, but it is not a heavy, heavy podcast. It's actually kind of tender and sweet. Um, and there's a lot of sort of fellowship to be found there. Um, I don't know. I really enjoy it. I've like, I've been listening to that for a couple of years now. Um, going back to Fargo for a second. So the original movie had seven deaths in it and in season one of Fargo, there was 43 deaths. Is that um, right? Wow. And I, 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 I will, I will say this has not been a hundred percent like scientifically vetted, but I'm just going to, it seems right. Um, hmm. I would say this, what runs through your mind when you're filming a show where just there's just that much blood uh, and violence uh, being spilled? You know, I was uh, binging Breaking Bad while I was shooting <laughs> Fargo. Uh, and I, when, I, when we first started shooting Fargo, I was like, this is really dark. And then I was binging Breaking Bad and it was ending, I think, at the same time. It was just about to end. And I was like, oh, there's space for us. This is fine. This is also very dark. Um, I didn't realize television had gotten so dark in the meantime. This is great. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess there's certainly, I, when I shoot things that are really dark like that, I do think, I don't know that my Nana is going to want to watch this. I don't know that my Nana is going to be into this. I was glad when I shot the show with the cute talking dog, I thought Nana will really <laughs> like this. You know, this is, like, this is an amazing film. <laughs> You're just like, no, that blood's just chocolate, Nana. It's, it's delicious. Don't yeah. worry about it. Um, and then but when you were going into Fargo, did you know that they would be kind of doing like the like the switched up each season with the different characters and different time periods? Or was that figured out after? That was always um, that was always the plan. Um, certainly when the show did so well um, commercially and critically and then in, in the award circuit, um, I was like, Maybe they'll bring us back. Maybe they'll bring us back and they won't. Uh, and also American Horror Story was happening, which is also FX. Mm, and I was mm -hmm. like, maybe they'll bring us back and we can play different roles. Like, that would be fun. Um, but Noah put a, put a stop to my extrapolation pretty quickly and was like, that won't work for this series. We're not going to bring you guys back. We can't do another season about Molly solving another crime because that's who we want this to be based in some you know semblance of reality and we also can't have you come back and play a hardened prostitute because we want this to be based in some semblance of reality so <laughs> it was a it was a blow to not be able to come back for a second season but I, I think it was the right choice artistically I'm saying this with all respect. I think a lot of us would love to see you play a hardened prostitute. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to have to write something myself. What can I say? Especially in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Yeah. I, I, a little bit, yeah. Um, I'm also wondering, um, so with, with Noah Holly, who created the show, like, God, is there something special in his water to be able just to like turn a very successful movie into a successful series and then completely change it each season and have it be at the same level. I mean, what is it like working with him? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's kind of a genius. And I think the, the real um, the real power of, of Noah's version of Fargo is that he figured out how to tap into um, the essence of the original, and the essence of what he was like sort of trying to capture and not repeat it and not spin off of it and not just try to um, do a, a different, maybe a television -y version of whatever story, but to be like, what's the root of the root? Like, what's the truth of this? What's the thing that makes this really special? And, and then what does that look like um, in, you know, in different situations and with different characters? And I, I think it's a, a genius way to, um, to approach um, adaptations. And I think that we could all learn something from that method. I'm wondering after you play, after you play, like after playing Molly, which was such a huge success and being nominated for Emmys and Golden Globes, like how do you go about picking the next role? Yeah, you know, I was really, um, I think because I broke so late and because I had been working day jobs for 10 years and I had just been, you know, trying to book commercials and things like that, that I had a little bit of sense of if this is all there is, it was pretty cool. What a great departure. And I can always go back to my, you know, front desk job if I have to. So I didn't feel um, too desperate to find the next thing. And I really rode out, Fargo uh, enjoyed writing that out as, as long as I could. I wasn't 
thirsty for anything else. I wasn't trying to find anything else all through awards season. I just really stayed in that place. It was such a special um, experience and like had such a, um, just cast such a massive shadow over my life that I really stayed in that place for um, as long as I could. And then I started reading scripts for other things and I said no to a lot of stuff. I felt like that, you know, I was poised to, um, I was poised to be able to play the types of roles that I wanted to play. And I was in a good position because I wasn't too worried about not ever working again. Cause I thought, well, I've done other things before I can do other things again. Um, now I feel like I'm too out of practice. Now I'd be like, I don't know how to do this. And now I, now I have to stay in television. Uh, <laughs> certainly, certainly at the time I was really patient and I said no to a lot of things and I waited for stuff to come along that really, um, felt right and felt like it was something that I wanted to contribute to the canon of my work. I wanted to be able to stand behind the choices that I'd made no matter what. And, um, I did a lot of guest roles, uh, that first year out. Cause I, you know, Fargo was the first television set I'd really been on. And I thought it would be useful for me to spend time on other TV sets. And it certainly was. So I had some great guest roles in that first year, got to spend some time with different directors on different sets and seeing how different people led casts. And it, you know, put me in really good stead when I was able to move forward and lead my own show again with Downward Dog and then eventually with Emergence as well. Well, I, I want to wrap up here. We have a thing I do called Pick One. And I give you mm -hmm. uh, one or two or even three things to pick. First, pick one, uh, mm -hmm. theater, film or TV. Ooh, that's hard. I mean, I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to say TV uh, because of all the reasons we talked about earlier, but I, I, you know, theater is still calling to me and I need to get back on the stage, hopefully next year, the year after, I don't know, I guess coronavirus is upsetting things, but um, it, it's, that's my first love is theater. Is there like a particular like role in theater that you are dying to play or something maybe I don't know, you know your, your kind of theater you were doing, so you were writing your own stuff or musicals or? Um, I did, uh, my theater company in Dallas didn't do musicals. We did like um, original works and first run regional, you know, uh, premieres and things like that. Um, so, but I do have a background in musical theater and, you know, I think I could go do a, a play tomorrow, but I would have to get back into shape to do a musical. And I would love yeah. to get back into shape to do another musical at some point in time. I think that would be awesome. It's kind of the most fun. I, I do love doing musicals. All right, next one. iPhone or Android? Ooh, this is hard. I'm an iPhone user. I was an Android user for years. And I really held off because I was just like, I don't want to be part of a cult. Uh, but now I'm on part, I'm part of the cult. And I'm like, it sure is nice that all my devices just talk to each other. That's pretty cool. All right, next one, uh, Facebook or Instagram? Instagram. Um, I feel like that really the purpose of, um, of social media is sort of mindless scrolling. And the fact that Instagram is primarily a visual medium really lends itself well to that. So I spend more time on Instagram, I think, than any of the other platforms. Yeah, that, I'm with you on that one. Um, the <laughs> next one, Zip, Zap, or Zop? <laughs> I'm gonna say zip. I'm gonna say zip. Zap. Oh wait, no. Ah, 
<laughs> kind of worked the way it was happened too. You know, I fought really hard to not wear a cop uniform in emergence because I was like, please don't make me, please don't make me wear a cop <laughs> uniform for this entire series. I mean, there was, there was some comfort in getting dressed in the morning for Fargo because I knew exactly what I was wearing. Uh, but, you know, I would rather wear cute colors and cute clothes. <laughs> <laughs> But essentially, because like both those characters have an element of, I believe the right term would be badassery about it. And I think <laughs> some of that comes from that uniform, especially I think in Fargo. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I, mean, um, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Last one. Martin Freeman <laughs> or Billy Bob Thornton? Ooh, that's hard. I don't know. I'm, I've seen Billy more recently, so I'm going to go with Billy. Sorry, Martin. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, Billy, if we didn't have, if we hadn't gotten Billy, I would never have gotten cast. So I'm going to Bob. The reason why they were able to cast a complete unknown as their female lead is because they'd already secured Billy Bob Thornton and they were like, fine, do whatever you want, Holly. It's cool. So I'm it's thankful just a, it, to him for that. I say the timing of the, the first season was interesting too, because Martin Freeman, I think The Hobbit either just came out or was getting ready to come out. Yeah, and there's that Sherlock show he did, which was you know moderately successful, being uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting because you did have this incredible talented cast, and but Billy Bob was kind of the big name on that at the time. Billy Bob was the big name, and also you know Fargo was kind of at the beginning of this um, idea of movie stars doing television that you could pop in and and do a TV show for a couple seasons, a season or two get to like, you know, put your kids to bed at night and things like that. Um, but, and Billy talks a lot in, in interviews about Fargo, about that, you know, televisions where film actors went to die. That's what, that was sort of always the, the um, stigma. And I think we were part of changing that idea. And now it's not unusual to have um, these limited series, especially with these big, big movie stars uh, coming in to play these roles. I want to thank Allison for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this interview, take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And until next week, take care.